Well, let's turn the tables on this episode. I am going to spend the rest of this year and probably the rest of my life making myself uncomfortable as many times as possible because it's been working. And there's something about turning the tables. And today's episode is very, very special. I had the absolute honor of being a guest of an interview with this person. And she was so good at interviewing me. I said, hey, will you do me a favor? She said, yeah. I said, would you interview me for my own podcast? And she said, yes. And so today, my friend Baja comes on the show, interviews me about my journey, my story, about how I see things. And I have some notes in front of me, but I know and remember vividly when we're recording this, how it felt. And I was so uncomfortable, but also so excited at the same point. I talk about how before I got into consulting or business relationships with someone, how I always make sure that we're aligned as person to person, how I filter that and how I see it to play the long game, how money is not your most valuable resource and you don't play the game most entrepreneurs play when it comes to investing in other companies, which is one of my beliefs. One that has bitten me in the ass a few times, but it's slapped me on the booty and said, good job, way more times. It's like 95 to 5. So I'll keep that ratio. I talk about how I have no codependent relationships and it's all asynchronous communication. So for me, this is what allows me to work uh, two to three hour workdays, have the travel schedule that I have and still be efficient. I talk about why I do it, how it matters, why I see it that way, which might help some of you coaches everywhere else. And then the secret to resetting and creating clarity uh, when I do that, how I do that, and many, many other pieces. I'm even uncomfortable doing this intro because it's me (laughs) answering the questions. And I don't know why, but I love being interviewed on other people's shows. But there's something about breaking the fourth wall and getting interviewed on your own uh, that's very, very humbling. And so I am excited. I am beyond excited. I know this show's loaded with nuggets, uh, but do me a solid on this one. And I know this intro is a little longer than normal, but do me a solid. Uh, I'm a words of affirmation guy. So if you take any takeaways from this episode, will you please send them to me to fill my bucket? Will you please let me know what you learned, how you're going to apply it? And then if you want more of these, but without further ado, I'm going to stop because the episode does all the magic. So here is the episode. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Mind of George Show. And this one is an interesting one. Uh, We're going to turn the tables on this one. I have not been nervous to do a podcast in a while, and I'm not nervous because of who I'm on the podcast with. Um, I had the absolute pleasure of being interviewed by today's guest on the podcast, but not a guest of the podcast, and we'll explain in a minute. And I had a blast. I laughed. We joked. I got to make fun of the marketing industry. (laughs) And we saw the world eye to eye. And then I was like, how old are you? Like 30? And I think she's like 19. I'm like, you're incredible. And then I had an idea and I was like, I loved how you interviewed me. I felt so good. I can't ever go on my own podcast and like tell my story. Would you be open to interviewing me for my own podcast? And then she said, yes. And so to give some context though, 
Uh, Baja and I met because she interviewed me on a podcast. She's never listened to this podcast, which I absolutely love. And she got the full experience of me just like throwing a ton of stuff out there. And she's innately curious. And so I'm just going to sit back and be a passenger and I'm going to be a guest on my own show. And so without further ado, Baja, the reins are yours. <laughs> Thank you so much for that wonderful intro, George. I always love your intros. <laughs> Thank so you. let's let's go ahead and let's let's get started. Um, the first thing that I want to know is obviously I'm sure that your listeners know you've, you you go in and you help people scale their businesses in exchange yep. for equity. Yep. I want to know about your very first business that you helped out. How did you get them to to agree to it? What did you yep. do for them? What were the biggest mistakes and lessons that you learned from that experience? Okay, so this one's going to be a, a, a this one's going to be a good answer and it's going to be compartmentalized down because there's a lot of lessons in this one. So the let me let me kind of explain first. So I, I own equity in uh, I somewhere between seven and nine companies. I, I forget the number. It doesn't matter, right? But I own equity in a lot of those companies. And typically, you get equity in companies because you uh, invest money, you know, things like that. Like that's typically how you get equity in companies. Now, to kind of set the context, I have never invested a dollar in a company ever. I've never put any money. I've never raised money. I've never even like taken my friend's money and invested it into a company in exchange for my equity. I've never taken finder's fees because like in this world, if I even help a friend get money, typically there's like a 3% finder's fee. Like I've done none of that. Like I am the worst fucking entrepreneur and businessman <laughs> that exists on the planet. Like there's probably a billion dollars on the table that I've left and I'm okay with that. Right. So just to kind of set that context. So, um, what ended up happening, and I've actually never told this, this is why I love that you're doing this. I've never told this story in its full entirety on the podcast. And so, you know, a lot of people know that I was a food blogger and then I went from being a food blogger to disappearing off the face of the earth for three years. And then all of a sudden the magical unicorn George pops back onto the internet with a podcast and social. And everyone's like, where the hell did he go? And so what ended up happening is Civilized Caveman was at the peak of its it was at its height, right? I was a 22-week New York Times bestseller. Um, my app had just hit number one in the world. I was getting like 7 million people a month on my website. The business was doing incredible, but my whole life was falling apart. Um, you know, entrepreneurship was my addiction. So my money challenges were insane. I was basically self-sabotaging the business and intentionally putting expenses over profit so I wouldn't have to have the hard decision with myself to change it, right? And uh my relationship with my wife was absolutely horrendous. Uh, I was completely overweight. And so I was doing a lot of soul searching. It was a very dark time. I was very depressed. I was in and out of therapy. But nobody knew because they saw me on Instagram with the millions of followers, right? They saw what I wanted them to see. And it was dark. And, and I lived that life for about two years. And it almost killed me. And, and it basically did. And it got to the point where I had to surrender. And that's when I had the clarity. I went down to Costa Rica. Uh, I sat with ayahuasca and did silence for seven days. And I realized that I couldn't run that company anymore. And running that company was why I couldn't heal because I had built a company in my trauma and in my wounds. And it was a monster that couldn't be reshaped. And I had to figure out what to do with it. And in typical fashion, I had the clarity and I reached out to my coaches and my, my wife and they were like, all right, you got to sell it. Like you got to do something. And I sat with it and sat with it. And it felt so wrong in my heart to try to monetize something that was a critical part of my life that helped me heal. And it didn't feel congruent. And so against everybody's wishes, my wife, including my coaches, my teachers, I gave that company away as a Christmas present to Josh Trent in 24 hours. Made a phone call, 
told him the story. Him and I are dear friends. We've been on this podcast together talking about it seven years later. And um, that that company was killing me and I had to make a choice. The choice was I could continue running that company and fix it. But what that meant is that I wasn't going to have my family because the man required to run that company and how we built it was a disintegrous, very unsupportive, unhealthy man. And I got to that point. So I chose my family. Right. And I went against what everybody's wishes were, but it felt so true to me. It felt like the first decision that felt so real. And so when I gave it away, um, Lindsay was probably, I don't know, six, seven months pregnant with our son, Branson, who's now six. And um, we probably had two months of cash flow max before I went bankrupt, like things were leaving. And uh, I sat with it and then I got a phone call. And uh, it was my buddy, Sean Stevenson, big one, not little one, rest in peace, little one um, from the Model Health Show wrote a book called Sleep Smarter and he said, hey, we're all meeting at Jim Quick's house and Jim Quick's a dear friend of mine and um, there's like 20 of us up there. We're doing like a day together. Why don't you come up? And obviously I'm depressed. We're about to get divorced. Like I have no money and I just said, okay. And I went up there and I was completely miserable. Um, what ended up happening, long story short, is I was in the room. Everybody was talking about how great their life was, how great their business was and they got to me and I was like, my life's over. I want to take my life, blah, 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 blah. Everybody just let it go. Nobody even like acknowledged me about it, which ended up being a blessing in disguise. And then in the afternoon, somebody asked a question about Facebook and all the smart marketers in the room and they are geniuses gave all these answers. And everyone's like, oh, and I was like, all right, you know what? That's the dumbest fucking answer I've ever seen. That is stupid. And they're like, well, what would you do? And I was like, well, let me show you. So I walked up to the whiteboard all pissed off. And I was like, I would do this, this, this. And I sat down. And they're like, wait, go back up there. I'm like, no, 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 that's it. And they're like, no, no, no. We want you to teach it again, but we want you to teach it for an hour. And I was like, what? And they're like, tell us how you do this. And so there were 22 people in the room, Aubrey Marcus, Tucker Max, Jim Quick, Cynthia Veswit, you name it, they were in the room. And I just taught them all how I had got a million followers organically after the algorithm changed. And then there were 22 people in the room and then 20 of them offered to hire me that day. And I didn't even know you could get paid to teach people things that you knew. I didn't know what a consultant was. I didn't know that it was valuable. And they all offered to pay me. And I was like, why would you pay me? I'll help you. And they're like, no, 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 no. Like this, if you teach us this for an hour, like this will change our company. And I didn't understand that. And so I didn't know what to charge. I didn't know anything. And so I just agreed to help everybody, everybody. And so then we get on calls and I didn't even know. And I just start helping. I didn't talk about price. I didn't talk about anything. And I was like, no, 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 we'll talk about that later. I want to fix this. And the first woman, I doubled her company in a week with her email list. And wow. um, and she reached out to me and she's like, I just wanted to say thank you. And she gave me 25% of all profits generated. So like my first time as a consultant, I made like a hundred grand. And then everybody else started calling and then I would just start helping and I would help for free. And then they would offer me money. One's like, I'll pay you $2,500 for this. Or, hey, this is great. When can you come out to the office? And so... What I did in the very early stages is anytime I found the opportunity to help somebody, I just said yes. And I helped with no attachment to anything. And I allowed my investment in them to be my commitment to them. And I truly believe in reciprocity. And what ended up happening is that that's how I became a consultant is I would meet people with problems, but I didn't have the confidence in myself to say, I can solve your problem because I didn't know. And so instead, I would just be like, let me help. I'll be your teammate. And then I would figure them out. And about half of them would offer me money. 
And the more I did it, the more confidence I got. So when the next one showed up, I was like, hey, I know I can help you with this. Can we agree to this and this and this? And so that kind of became the model. And so in the very early stages of my consulting career, just like any business, I was trading time for dollars, right? And I was going back and forth like, hey, I'll come out for a day. I'll come out and do a half day. And I'm developing my models, right? And the things that I teach around marketing and customer journey. And so in the very early stages for maybe the first three years, it was always time for dollars, right? It was always time for dollars. And then I didn't start to see the upside until I realized one company paid me collectively about $250,000 over a year. And they generated about $100 million in revenue because of it. Wow. And I wasn't upset. I wasn't like, oh, the ship sailed. Because truth be told is I didn't have the awareness back then. And it wouldn't have worked back then because I wouldn't have had the skill set or awareness to take equity back then. But it started to change my perspective, right? And then I got to a place where I wasn't hustling anymore and I wasn't grinding. And I was like, okay, I can now start looking at the long game a lot more aggressively. And I've always played the long game. But in the early stages when revenue was so important, I would play the short game to make revenue. And I was maybe playing a six to 12 month long game, right? Because I needed those things to pay off to reinvest into the consulting, into the business, into my events. Once I got some cushion, I started investing in the three, five and 10 year game. And that's when it started to get really, really fun. And so a company would come to me and I'd look at their company. I'd give them a fair assessment and I would literally be like, listen this is exactly what I see. And I would base my offer based on the relationship I had with the person. And I would throw out ideas and I'd be like, dude, I'd love to see this. And I'd love to be a part of this. And and I'd be open about it. I'm like, I think I can help you with this. And I'd love to have a small part or be on your board, but we're not there yet. And I, I'm, I'm just very open about it. Right. And then we typically come to an agreement. And now because I play the long game, I'm like, God, you know what? I believe in them. I love them. They're my friends. Even if I go help them for two days and they don't pay me, in hopes that it gets me equity and I never get equity, I'm still going to win because they're my friends and they're going to win and they're never going to forget this. And so then I'll look at that and I'll be like, you know what? I don't need to charge my friends 50 grand for two days. Let them cover my travel. I'll tell them why I'm coming out and buying it for them and what my hope and goal is, but then remove my attachment. And what typically happens is sometime in the next 90 to 180 days or in the next year or two, our relationships continue. They either paid me to come in and I helped them. And then they doubled their company and they call me again a year later. And they're like, hey, would you like to be on our board? Or I invest time under agreements because I see the potential and I know how easy it can work. And I believe in the people. And I want to say all that because there there is no guarantee. What, what I look business like, I look at business and everything like everything's a relationship. It's the premise of what I teach, right? And so like my number one rule is before I work with anybody, if you're going to be my one-on-one client, if you're going to do consulting with me, if you're going to come to like one of my VIP days, if we're going to do anything together, my number one rule is I have to be willing to have dinner with you every night for the rest of my life. And so before I even get into business, before I get into consulting, before I get into anything, when anybody's interested, the first thing I do is build a relationship to make sure that we're aligned as people. And so that becomes part of my filter, but it also creates patience, which allows me to see the game because I don't also want to invest in companies that just want a million dollars from me because I do have money, but money is not my most valuable resource. And for lack of better terms, that's not the entrepreneur I want to be. I want to be the entrepreneur that invests my time and my skill set and my knowledge in exchange for value because I like working. 
And so there's nothing wrong with that. But when I have that patience, I can look at it and I can choose to play the game in what feels in alignment with me rather than trying to play a game that everybody else says I should play. And the only reason I'm able to do what I do and have equity in all these companies, and there's a lot of them, and I only work, you know, a certain hours every day, and I don't technically work that much, I'd say probably four hours a day, is because all of those business deals are based on a relationship that doesn't require codependent communication. It's all asynchronous. And sometimes it's once a month, once a week, three times a week, six times a month, once a quarter. And it's like the best friend that you never lose contact with. And so running those businesses is really, really easy. I'll get a text message. We'll have a seven-minute phone call and we'll solve 30 days worth of problems. And then we won't talk again for three weeks. And so then when I fly around, you know, once a quarter or once a month and I go to Austin, I go check in with my three business partners and companies or I go to Jersey and I hit those three and then I put face in office and I see everybody and we do dinner and we strategize and we design the next 90 days. And then we have a couple phone calls in between. And so by focusing so heavily on the relationship and having the patience to understand that even though I'm 39 years old, I have a whole lot of life left and I should not be making decisions about what's going to happen next year or the year after. I should be making decisions based on what's going to happen five years and 10 years. So when that compounds and I continue these behaviors, then it's just going to compound even greater. And so, you know, for me, what I always look at before I do any business deal, before I do any anything, is that I 100% believe that when I'm done, I'm going to be able to say that I gave my all and this is it and like be willing to fight to keep the money if they say it didn't work. And if I don't have that, I won't do it. Instead, I'll just turn around and help for free until I either have the clarity or they're in a place to where I can have that. And I'll be like, hey, I think it's time. And then I kind of go to bat, right? And so I think what's really, really important underneath this is it's really easy when you play, when you're a part of a culture, when you're a part of a paradigm, when you're a part of a clique, to establish or through osmosis, in, basically inherit the behaviors of the clique. And I think as entrepreneurs, and I think as business owners, it's really, really easy to inherit the behaviors of the masses and fall victim to that very quickly, right? Oh, if I go get in crypto here, if I go do this here, if I go do this here, but what everybody fails to recognize is that when you're responding to things in such a short measurement window, you're playing checkers while we're playing chess and you will never win playing checkers, right? The distractions and the dopamine are designed to get the addicts so the smart ones that have patience sit back and play the pieces on the field. And so you have to be willing to spend time with yourself to be willing to check your decisions because whether you recognize this or not, on a day-to-day -day basis, let's, let's make a guess that you make 500 decisions. And I know it's more. I don't know the stats, so I'm making up a number. But on a day-to-day, -day, you make 500 decisions. On those days, your success is determined by how many of those decisions are aligned and intentional based on your future and where you want to go instead of being emotional or responsive based on where you came from. And it's really just a matter of numbers because if you can get 70% of choices from your future and playing the long game and 30% from your past and your trauma, you're still making 20% of progress every single day or 30% of progress, right? You're still moving forward. We lose 
when we fall victim and we live on the backside or the dark side more than we live on the front side. And that's because we become a byproduct of the environment, right? Everybody says, like, if you're going to sell a digital product, you need to use a fucking webinar. Says who? Everyone says, if you're going to do this, you need upsells. Says who? Well, everyone says you need a card amendment. Says who? The reason people lose is because they get romantic about what it looks like because they're not willing to take a step back and look at the bigger picture and say, hey, is there a different way? Like I, I tell the story all the time and, and this reminds me of it, but I had a, a coaching client of mine like six years ago. I was trying to hammer home the point of how overcomplicated he was making it. <laughs> and I made a very aggressive statement that I, I, I don't think I thought I could back up, but I made it thinking I would bluff him. And I was like, I could sell one video, one two-hour video as a $10,000 course to prove my point. And I thought he was going to like literally take it and be like, surrender. And he called my bluff on it. And I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) And it took me three days to outline a two-hour video that I thought would be worth $10,000. And then three days later, I sold. uh, I think I made 90 grand. I sent one email out. And then I was like... I have been playing the wrong game. And I started reflecting and looking at how many times I lost because I was so convinced that the way I was doing it was the only way it could be done. And if you look at my career and if you look at my success, like people say I shouldn't be in business. Like I have never signed a contract ever. And I'm exchanging six figures based on a handshake and I've never given a refund. Like, Everyone's like, you're fucked. You're going to lose your business. You need attorneys. And I was like, says who? And have I been screwed over? 1,000%. Two companies come to the top of my mind. One of them stole a quarter of a million dollars from me. But here was the best part. I knew it was coming. And my wife asked me one question. And she's like, when you get the call and you hang up, are you going to be able to sleep tonight? And I was like, like a fucking baby. And she's like, then what's it matter? Because you played exactly how you should play. And when I started to get that, it changed the game. Because as long as I choose my behaviors every day based on me and who I want to be, and I never alter them based on the world or how the world responds to them, I can't lose. I really, really can't. And when I get trapped in that bucket, I just find tools or ways to get out of it so that I can kind of get back into that place. And so I think when you really start to break this down, I think the most important thing is you really have to identify who it is you want to be as an entrepreneur. Like I have a one-on-one client that we just ended our relationship because a year ago, they told me they wanted to run a $20 million business and have a team of blank and a team of blank. And so guess what? We started building it, an eight-figure company. And then I got a phone call in the middle of the night And she flew to Montana a day later and we spent 48 hours unraveling an eight-figure company down to nothing in seven days. Because once she had it, she didn't want it anymore. And so you have to make sure that you're really aligned. And I saw your face, so here's what happened. It turned into 11 hours of calls a day, six hours a day. A YouTube channel with four four videos a week, Mm -hmm. a mastermind, a team of 22 To make six times more, but take home less and have no time. So she's on a six-month sabbatical now and is coming back to just make content that she wants. And we figured out that when we restructured it, her ad revenue alone doubled her operating costs 
And when we let go of the team, we had to issue $1.2 million of refunds and courses and masterminds, but we actually made money. And in the long run, this is going to make her more money because it's simple and it's focused on her aligned vision. And it only requires like an hour a day when she comes back and she'll still generate a million dollars a year in revenue. Wow. And so the most important thing is that you have to, on a daily basis, check your barometer and make sure that how you're doing business is aligned with how you want to be doing business in the future. And I watch way too many people sacrifice parts of their soul or do deals with the devil thinking it's going to give them a head start or a jump start. No matter which way you slice this, this is like shoots and ladders, except there's no ladders. When you get to the top and you're near the finish line, it knows that you skipped over a step and you take a slide all the way back down. There is no removing skeletons from your closet and having a win before you do. Those skeletons are the things that prevent the wins from happening in the first place. And it's only when you eradicate them that you have a breakthrough, whether it's the client you haven't talked to or the the where you've been cutting the corner or where you've been dishonest in your relationship. You can fucking pretend all you want that it's not going to come back and bite you in the ass, but one way or another it does. And the moment it does, if you're willing to do the work and you work through it, you come out the other side a better person in their breakthrough. You got to choose those behaviors every day, but you got to be willing to check your barometer every day. Because just because everyone says that's the way to do business or that's the only way it's been done means absolutely fucking nothing. It just means no one's had the balls to say, well, what if I could do it better? Like the reason entrepreneurs exist is to fucking push the boundaries of how things have been done because we make ways that don't exist. You lose when you think doing it the way that everybody did it or the way that they tell you you should do it is the only fucking way because it's not because it's not your way. Your way is the only way, but you have to choose it. And so when I think about that, like you really have to make sure that you're really intentional about where you're going to invest your time and who you're going to do it with, because that's the environment that's going to shape you into the entrepreneur that you're going to be. And whether you realize it or not, it changes you. And so I'd say you start there. And then here's my rule in business. I don't believe that anybody should pay me money or give me equity until I've already added that amount of value into their business before they do. That's my rule. So like when I charge somebody $100,000 for a three-day intensive, before I ever make an offer, I ask myself, and prior to making an offer, have I already added $100,000 of value to their life? Hmm. And that's how I think about it. And so it gets really, really easy because I also turn down equity all the time. I have two emails in my inbox right now. Hey, we want this. We want you to help us find funding and boom, and then maybe some marketing. I'm like, no. That's not what I do. I'll do that anyways, but I'm not going to sign in a contract. And we're negotiating about putting my behaviors as a human in a contract. So I'm not going to take equity. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. Even if it's worth $30 million or $40 million. It's not because it's not aligned with who I am. And there's nothing wrong with that. I love them because here's what's going to happen. I'm not going to sign it because I don't want it. And then they're going to call me and need funding. And I'm going to give it to them anyways. And I'm not going to get the finder's fee. And I'm okay with that. Because right now, I'm making the decision. So whatever happens, happens. I'm okay with it. There's no regret. There's no anything. There's just more opportunity. I'm going to find it. So when I think about business, that's how I think about it. Because what I also understand about business is that I want to be in bed with people that irregardless of the business still exist as a team. And very few businesses are going to last a decade. It's going to change shape. It's going to change flavor. It's going to be acquired. It's going to be sold. And you want to make sure that when those happens, that you're in bed with your family. 
Because it's all fun and games to sign a, a membership or an equity agreement when you're doing $2 million a year and blah, blah, blah. And then you fast forward five years and you're getting a billion dollar exit. And all of a sudden the real truth comes out, right? That money changes things. It amplifies things that weren't there before. And so I think it's really, really important to think about those things irregardless of how. And of course, there's nothing wrong with traditional business. There's nothing wrong with investing in businesses. There's nothing wrong with taking equity for reserve stock units, right? And then exchanging your knowledge. There's nothing wrong with taking options in a company. There's a hundred ways to do business. The most important thing to recognize is if you think about all the stuff you've listened to for years, no matter where you are in entrepreneurship, everything about wealth is about diversifying your assets. Everything about making money is about diversifying the bridges in which you do it. There's not one way to do it. You have to be open to trying every way and it's going to change. It's going to evolve. It's going to grow. Like It's so crazy to me because I feel like every time I make an offer, it's different. I don't feel like I've ever made the same offer twice. I'm constantly making tweaks and I'm making adjustments. Now, do I teach the same concept? Yeah. But how I teach them is a little bit different for everybody. And so I think the more comfortable that people can get in that foundationally, the more opportunity they're going to have to be able to invest in or take equity in or acquire companies, right? And so it's really, you got to start with what, feels best to you and how do you want to do business? And for me, I don't want to be the guy that's on board meetings and on Zoom calls and having to wear a suit. So I'm not. I'm in my work uniform. Welcome to business casual. If I get called into court, guess what I'm wearing? If I get called into a board meeting, guess what I wear? When we go to the investor dinner tomorrow night, guess what I'm wearing? Right? And so when you really stay true to that and you align the business decisions that you want to make based on who you want to be, it gets really fucking easy. And then what it feels like is that everybody else is running around trying to fish and I have fish jumping in my boat and I'm throwing them back in the water. And so I don't know if that answers your question, but that's a start. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't even know what to say, but I have a ton of questions and I was writing them down as you were talking. So let's start with this. I, I want to know, do you ever feel like, because it's no secret that you, you you give away all this information for free. Mm-hmm. And I think it's amazing that you do that and you've been so well rewarded for it. But do you ever feel like you're taken advantage of? No. Here's why. And I love this question. I used to think I was. I used to think I was, but then I figured out what it was. I wasn't feeling like I was taking advantage of. I was giving with unspoken expectations. Break check. Let me take a moment to interrupt myself. I don't run ads on my own podcast, but sometimes I forget that I can tell you about things on my own show. So I'm interrupting for a very important announcement, which is the Lighthouse Business Accelerator, because it is event time. And as a fellow entrepreneur and business owner, you know how important it is to attend live events, especially ours, with the world's most intense Rock, Paper, Scissors Championship with the best prizes. But that's why I'm thrilled to invite you to our event that will transform your business and catapult your personal growth as a leader in the industry. And if you do not believe me, I swear to God, just go to mindofgeorge.com slash event. I will not tell you. The people on the page will tell you. Their videos will tell you. But the event is getting ready to happen November 16th through 19th in Whitefish, Montana, my beautiful home at the Grouse Mountain Lodge. We have a new event location. So down and dirty. It is a three-day event with an optional four, and everybody takes the fourth. They're just limited spots, but you'll find out more about those. Who's going to be speaking? Luckily for you, the best 
my dear friend Mo Ismail and my myself will be co-curating. He'll be speaking, and he is literally the best in the world at short form content. It is mind blowing when he speaks. Everybody writes notes and listens. My dear friend John Wellborn, who is just a wealth of walking wisdom and knowledge. He was a NFL player for ten years. He studied stoicism. He has degrees in rhetoric and from all these different places. And I learned so much. And then I have a special surprise up my sleeve, but I'll keep that with you there. So at our event, it's all about community. It's all about relationships. And our goal isn't just for you to walk away with clarity, which you will, mastery and understanding of customer journey, which you will, but also feeling recharged and on fire, ready to go into the world, knowing you have community and support. And so whether you're just starting out, totally fine. We have about half the room of that. Running a seven-figure business, totally fine. We have you. Eight-figure business, we got you. And we have had billionaires in the room. And we focus on principles and communities. And everybody learns from each other. Everybody benefits from each other. And everybody wins. And so I can't wait for you to be one of the 75 entrepreneurs in the room in that next experience with your bucket full. So I'm going to let you get back to the content But I'm going to tell you, I cannot wait to hug you and high five you in Montana. So come be ready to be with 75 entrepreneurs that are all hungry for growth and networking and supporting. And of course, the world's most competitive rock, paper, scissors championship. So I'm going to let you get back to the content. But irregardless, right now, it's time to go to mindofgeorge.com slash event. Check it out. And we will see you November 16th through 19th in Whitefish, Montana. I don't even know what to say, but I have a ton of questions and I was writing them down as you were talking. So let's start with this. I, I want to know, do you ever feel like, because it's no secret that you, you you give away all this information for free. Mm-hmm. And I think it's amazing that you do that and you've been so well rewarded for it. But do you ever feel like you're taken advantage of? No. Here's why. And I love this question. I used to think I was. I used to think I was, but then I figured out what it was. I wasn't feeling like I was taking advantage of. I was giving with unspoken expectations. So it was never giving in the first place. Because truth be told, giving means that irregardless of what happens on the other side, I'm still going to give. Anything else is not giving. And so it took me a long time to recognize that. Because even though I said I was giving, there was still an agenda. There was some attachment. They was like, oh yeah, I'm giving, but I expect you to pay me money and I'm just not going to say it, but then I'm going to get disappointed when you don't and then I'm going to feel taken advantage of, mm-hmm. right? Or the other side of that is I give to you for free. I don't, take, take, don't feel taken advantage of because you didn't pay me. I feel taken advantage of because you told me you wanted me, my help and I gave it to you and you did nothing with it and then I take it personal. And then when I take it personal, it prevents me from seeing what would help you in the first place. And so I struggled with this for a long, long time until I got an integrous relationship with what giving really was. And giving means nothing in return. And the way that I worked myself into that was starting by being radically honest. And so you hear me do this all the time now. And I think I said it to you once and I was like, I'll buy you 30 minutes of my time. And then when we're done, you have everything you need. And if you ever need anything, you let me know. That allows me to give while also being integrous with why I'm doing it, while also being unattached. So when I meet a company after a keynote, this is a real story, no fucking joke. 
I gave a keynote in Austin, Texas. I talked about how to use marketing to scale your business. I had this uh, incredible gentleman come up and ask me a question after, and he was doing 18 million a year on average for the last 10 years. Home Depot accounted for 95% of their revenue with their product. Home Depot decided after 20 years to drop them with no warning overnight. So $17 million of revenue gone. He asked me this question and I was like, I can't answer this right now. Can you meet me at the end of the day? I need an hour. And he's like, yeah. So I sat down with him and I was like, here's exactly what I would do. You can't hire me. You don't have the money. But if I was in this situation, this is exactly what I do. But here's what I want you to do. I'm going to map all this out for you. And I'm going to email you those things that I told you about. I only want you to reply to the email if you have a question about anything I shared or the next time I want to hear from you is when you're telling me you're going to wire me a hundred grand to celebrate and bring me to Chicago. And I was like, I'm totally joking, but I think this will work. And he laughed. We exchanged information and I sent it away. I never thought about it again. He never emailed me. So when I left that keynote, I was like, cool, we connected on social, right? But I, I don't follow up. I was like, I gave him what he needed. I'll wait till he reaches out. Mm. Eight months pass. I open my inbox on a Monday morning. I have a subject line that says, where do I wire the 100K and when can you come to Chicago? And I open the email and he said, we did it. We're back to $4 million a year and everything you said worked. We don't need anything, but here's a hundred grand. Please come hang out with us in Chicago for three days. And so literally a week and a half later, I flew to Wheeling, Illinois, and I hung out with them for three days and they wired me a hundred grand. <laughs> yeah, they wired me a oh, hundred grand. And I went out there and hung out and ended up talking shop and doing business because I spent an hour for free eight months prior and I was completely unattached. And so I, I'm probably going to cry right now. Um, I want to cry hearing that. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think of myself as a leader. Um, often I know I am, I know I am right. Naturally, like I know I am, but I also have a carnal knowledge of all the scars and the shadows that were required to get here. And the ones that I walk with and dance with like every single day. And the choices that I have to intentionally make to not be a bad human that I used to be and make collateral damage, right? And so when I talk about leadership, I talk about it very lightly. Truth is, it's one of the lightest and most rewarding gifts in the world, but it's not an easy path to get through it because the level of reflection required, the level of self-reflection, the level of self-integrity, the willingness to sit with like the darkest parts of your soul and be like, fuck, I said that today and I can't make an excuse for it. And like digging into that is like where this game is, is, is really, really won. And for years, I always had that intention. I always gave away the content because that's what I really wanted to do. I just didn't know how to give it away right. And in giving it away is what allowed me to see that. And then it allowed me to adjust that. And then now it feels really, really easy every day to give it away. But it doesn't mean it's easy for me to record it or it's easy for me to do or I'm not having the thought of like, oh my God, I could totally charge money for this. Or No, that's all there. But then I ask myself, what behavior is aligned with who I want to be and how I want to do business in the future? And it's a really fucking simple answer. And every single time it's hit publish. I have no filters, none. It scared me for a long time because I'm like the things that people pay me a quarter of a million dollars for to teach them in a room. I speak 
openly and freely in the same exact way on this podcast. And the only reason I'm able to do that is I have to trust that I'm adding value and building relationships, that that's okay. And that I really do understand this game and I know what I teach is true. But it's fucking hard. It's hard. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's easy now, eight years later, nine years later of like the consistency of like walking through this and seven figures of therapy and more plant medicine and breath work and men's retreats and conscious retreats and emotional work and like, you know, all of it to get here. It's easy now, but it doesn't feel any easier. And I want to say that because I think it's really, really important. It doesn't feel any easier. I just feel so much more prepared and I know I'm going to win the game. So the only thing that's really changed is my level of confidence because the pressure now is 180 times greater than the pressure ever was seven years ago. And I now recognize why those lessons happen in entrepreneurship. I recognize why I had to fire my best friend yesterday. I recognize why I had to get that embezzlement case. I recognize why we had to get sued. I now know why I had to have that hard conversation because now those things still come up. They just come up 10 times more. And I have to be able to act on them faster and have a clear heart and a clear head and make informed decisions. And the only reason I'm able to do it now is because I was willing and able to do it when I didn't want to do it back then. And so I think it's so important to understand that this is really for me. I feel like I've cracked the code because it's really a it's a game of base hits. It's consistency. If I'm making more consistent behaviors every day based on who I want to be rather than who I don't want to be. I'm going to win. It might not be as fast as I think, but once I taste it, I'm going to want to do it more. That's how it works. And then I'm going to get hit with a roadblock and I'm going to gain 20 pounds again, but I'm never going to gain 80 because I remember how much it took to lose it. And that'll be the kickstart I need. And then it'll only be 10 the next time. And then it will be mastery, right? Until something else changes. And that's the game. Like that's the most important part. So um, I hope that answered your question. It does answer my question. Entrepreneurship is a really, really difficult journey and you do not know yourself until you start a business or you get into business. Mm -hmm. It will it will fuck you in the ass. It'll dump you uh -huh. out, spit on you, uh -huh. ring you out, uh -huh. Uh -huh. and then throw you back in. <laughs> uh-huh. It's 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 nasty, but here's here's the funny part. What I recognize is that I spent most of my life, even even in my early years, but teenage years, early 20s, like, okay, I want to be successful. I want to be a millionaire. I want to be blank. I want to be blank. And I said I wanted it. And then the moment I got the path, I was like, wait, but I wanted it to be easy. Wait, I thought. And then, you know, like what I've had to recognize is that entrepreneurship is the greatest fucking gift in the world. It's like 10 years of therapy a day, but you're <laughs> in full control, right? And here's the thing. You, you, you can't get mad at the game that we want to play. The reason not everybody is entrepreneurs is because it's a hard game. But what you start to recognize, it's the ones that win are the ones that stuck it out longer. That's the big secret about entrepreneurship. Like I have a company that I help scale from a million dollars a month and they ended up selling three years later for like $1.6 billion. That company was his 23rd startup in 11 years. Oh, wow. And all 22 prior failed. And he's like one more. And that one more made him a billionaire in seven years, six years. And so I think it's really, really important to remember, but I lost as an entrepreneur for so long because rather than checking in every day of like, are my behaviors aligned to who I want to be or where I want to go? 
I would put my blinders on for 90 days at a time and just keep acting on the same behaviors and the same habits that were keeping me stuck in the first place. And you have to have this willingness to, to recognize that like you, your body, your brain, you as a human, whoever is listening to this, like you got issued a vehicle with an owner's manual and it's the only one you're going to have. And it's the one that is the common denominator in every decision, every business, every video, every sale, every single thing that you touch. And it's the one that's neglected the most. And it really is the one that holds your secrets. Like you have anxiety. You see that as anxiety. I see that as a check engine light to your breakthrough because there's a reason it's showing up, right? You have fear about the keynote. I see that as a good thing because it tells me you fucking care. If you didn't have fear getting up to give a keynote, it would tell me you didn't give a shit about the people in the audience. I'm afraid every time I sweat through two t-shirts a keynote. I love that, right? And I have this incredible quote that I have in every bathroom in my life. So in my office, it's in my bathroom, in my house, it's hanging in all five bathrooms, in my office, in the other towns, in my other states, they're hanging in the bathroom and it's the quote about the two wolves. And it's about an old wise Cherokee talking about two wolves. There's a good wolf and a bad wolf. And basically to summarize at the end, the son asks, well, which wolf wins? And the grandfather says, whichever one you feed. And the example I use to give this is that I ask, have like you ever been almost in a car accident or in a car accident, Baja? Yeah. Yeah, cool. So you know that feeling you get in your gut where your chest gets heavy, your like adrenaline is up and like your mm-hmm. butterflies are everywhere, right? Cool. Have you ever been on a roller coaster? Yeah. Have you had that same exact feeling? Mm-hmm. So the feeling is identical, but depending on the situation, one will look at it as trauma and one will look at it as positive. But what's crazy is the feeling is the same and the event doesn't matter. And so what we have to understand is that when we look at situations, there's always two sides. We lose when we refuse to look at the other side because it's the willingness to look that makes us aware. It doesn't mean we have to accept it. The willingness to look is the pause. That's the thing that changes the behavior. Not that you actually change it. It's that you pause at the bifurcation and say, wait, maybe there is another side. And like, think back to your life, right? Your short, relatively short life that has been <laughs> relatively massively successful for how I pinned you. My, my reading was way off with you, which is a compliment to you. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but like when you, when you reflect back, right? I'm sure you can think of 10 moments where you were like, there's no way out of this. It was like straight suffrage. And you're like, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. And then six months later, you're like, I was so fucking wrong. Oh my God, right? And then we reflect. I'm like, oh, I never want to make that again. The difference between making it and not making it is just the ability to pause when it happens. And the only reason people can't pause is because they never practice just being still with themselves and don't know how to sit with their emotions when they come. Because we get emotional and what do we do? We pick up our phone. We turn on the TV, we listen to music, we go to the gym, we get out. We don't ever just sit. And so then we expect to win in a game of entrepreneurship where we're basically playing the Super Bowl every day and every play matters. But every time we don't get a play, we feel like it was an emotional attack and we think we're going to make a good play the next time. You can't. You have to be able to acknowledge that your emotions are there, but make decisions irregardless of them. Right. And the the way that I say this is like, if anybody has kids, right, like I have kids and I remember all the nights when I haven't slept in two weeks and he's eight months old and colicking and he's crying like zero part of me wants to get up like in my body. I am crying. I'm angry. I'm exhausted. Right. I'm stressed about money. Like my body is in shutdown at 3 a.m. when I hear him crying and Lindsay can't get out of bed because it's my turn. Right. 
But in that moment, I'm committed to something greater than me. So irregardless of how I feel, I don't go yell at my eight-month-old. I don't go cry on him. No, I walk in there regardless of how I feel. I pick him up and I make it about him. That lesson is the most valuable lesson that you will ever have as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Because commitment is not feelings. And we lose because we allow our feelings to get away, get in the way of our commitment. And what's I've... so funny is that what mitigates the feelings is taking the action that you committed to. That's actually what makes them go away. Right? Like for the people that are like, oh my God, I was going to the gym every day for 30 days. And then I skipped a day and now I've been eating like shit for four days. They're at a decision in their kitchen and they're self they're self-sabotage and they're talking like shit and they're met with a package of Oreos on the counter sitting on the couch and watching TV or going to the gym. What's the one that's going to guarantee make them feel better? Sit on the couch, eat the Oreos. No, go to the gym. Oh, well, I mean, in the moment, they'll probably Yeah, it'll never make them feel better, right? Or going for a five-minute walk outside. If they went for a five-minute walk outside, would they eat the Oreos when they came back in? Uh Uh-uh. Guaranteed. Because it would turn into 10 or into something else. But we don't put plans in place for these things. We don't talk about them. And for me, the reason I'm sharing this so openly is because I'd say there was a good seven, eight years where this was the only challenge I was having. Every time I made a million, I'd lose it. Every time I'd have a win, I'd lose it. And it's because I didn't understand what I just shared with you. And it it was one of like the deepest lessons that I've learned. So I want to ask you, and I'm just going to try to formulate the question as it comes out. Um, so you mentioned that anxiety is a check engine to your breakthrough, mm-hmm. but as entrepreneurs, we also, we, we have to have some kind of intuition. So I'm thinking, you, you know, like there's anxiety, there's your gut feeling that kind of steers you towards which way to go. Yep. How do you know if you're having anxiety, if it's a good thing or a bad thing? Totally. You know? Well, so first, I love this question. I, to I, I, I totally, okay. I totally do. So first... If you're having anxiety, it's a good thing irregardless. Okay. Thousand percent, right? So one of my famous things that I've said for years is that anxiety is energy lacking clarity. Because all anxiety is is energy, right? When you get anxiety, you are alert. Your heart rate's up, right? You boom, boom, boom. Sometimes that anxiety is like nervous about a performance, right? But it's helping you get ready for that performance. Sometimes that anxiety is in response to an emotion or a trigger, so it's heightening you to be alert so that you can work through it, right? Typically, it doesn't matter. It's always a good thing. Where you win is when you create the space to ask what it is before you make a decision, right? So on this podcast, on my podcast, I talk about this all the time, my SOS model, right? The whole reason that exists is so that when you have that emotional reaction, that before you do anything, you create a pattern interrupt or pause that allows you to see it and ask a couple questions, right? And so irregardless, here's what you have. You have energy to use. And so if you sit with it and you can't get clarity and you're like, I still feel emotional, I'm a wreck. And you're like, I can't focus. I can't do any work, but I haven't worked out today. What do you think I'm going to recommend you go do? Work out. (laughs) Work out. Do you think there's a good chance that if you're having anxiety, You can't get clarity on what it is, which means you're not going to work. So instead, you go for a 10-minute walk that there's a good chance you might find it or feel a little bit better. Yeah. Is there any other path that would lead to you feeling better? Uh Uh-uh. Because you'd ruminate on it and collect more evidence that would make the anxiety worse. You'd get frustrated that you can't find an answer to the question. And then you'd start to make yourself bad and wrong. 
you'd start to do work and then get frustrated you couldn't do it, get more emotional and then find more fires that you didn't even know existed or create more. Really, the only one way is to pattern interrupt and go. And so when I say it's a good thing, because if it comes up and you can't get clarity on it, you know you just have to go use that energy and a behavior that's aligned with your future. Movement, go do breath work, go read a book, anything that you have to kind of reset because you're not going to get an answer right now. That clarity doesn't come instantly. You have to have the ability to sit with your emotions. If you are sitting with it and you get clarity, you're like, oh my God, this is because I didn't tell Baja this one thing. Well, guess what? You now have a crystal clear prescription on how to fix the anxiety. So the question is, when are you going to fix it? The anxiety will remain if you pretend that there's another way to do it. There's a reason you had the clarity. Come up, handle it. If you find it and it's a good thing, then just use it. But the thing is, is that all it needs is something to be used on that's about your future and not about your past. So if you have anxiety and you go to Netflix, I won't talk to you because I don't care. I can't come into your home and make you get off the fucking couch. I can't make you hit pause and hit that list of shit that's on your thing. But I can remind you that tomorrow you're going to have guilt and regret because it would have taken you five minutes today and you told me you wanted this. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be down. But you can't use it as an excuse not to live because if I took all the food out of your fucking house, you wouldn't be sitting on that couch. It's a privilege to be able to sit on that couch. It's a privilege to be able to numb out on Instagram. It's a privilege to be able to numb out on YouTube. But don't take that privilege and use it as an excuse for the reason why we're not taking the actions and behaviors that are going to create our business results or our life results. Like nobody put the fucking fork in my mouth. The food and fork didn't make me fat. My choices made me fat and my lack of choices made me fat. And no matter what, at the end of the day, the hardest part for me in 39 years of doing this in my life and my story was loving myself enough to accept the fact that it was always only mine. That was it. And the reason I couldn't is because I wouldn't love myself. I would make every decision wrong. that for a second. <laughs> every choice wrong because I didn't love myself. And that was it. And the amount of anxiety I don't have anymore, like my wife even jokes with me now. She's like, literally, it feels like the apocalypse has happened and you're smiling. And I'm like, it doesn't affect me at all. Like I see it and I get how hard it is. But irregardless, I'm going to have to be in this place to make a decision anyway. So why don't I just stay here? And it's just been a muscle that I flex over and over. But what it really is for me is choosing me. What I'm really saying is I trust myself enough to not allow this to affect my emotions and know that when I need to make a decision, I'll make the right decision. How do you deal with anxiety when you're waiting for a decision? You, let's say you're waiting for, I don't know, you're waiting to see if a deal is going to close or see if they're going to Yeah, yeah. So I get this. Like this that. is, yeah, I love this question. This is where I get really honest with myself. Here's what's funny. Irregardless, let's say you're waiting, let's say you send a proposal to a client, you're waiting to hear back. Okay. Let's say you're having anxiety because you don't know if they're going to say yes. Okay. And I'm like, cool. If you think about that and I'm like, awesome, give me three ways in which you could eliminate your anxiety, clear, tangible ways. And you might be like, oh, I could follow up with them, right? I'll reach out and follow up. Number two, um, I can do blank. Number three, I can do blank, right? If you look at those, 
and you put them on paper, there's a good chance you'd realize that if you reached out, what would happen to the deal? You'd so lose it. either, yeah. yeah. You'd lose it, right? You'd lose it because you made an offer and then the moment you're waiting to hear back, the moment you break that, they're in the position of power, right? Yeah. You'd never reach out, right? And so when you look at the list, one of the reasons that we have anxiety is because we haven't gotten clear on what actions we would take irregardless. And the moment we write them out, we realize we would never take the actions that we thought would mitigate our anxiety. And so it makes our anxiety go away. And so what you have to be willing to ask yourself is what are you willing to do about it, right? And so when I like send out a proposal, most of the time I forget I send them because I'm clear. Like we're in, we're good, we're out. It's boom, it's done. I just pretend like it's paid. And I've even shown up with clients. So like I never paid your invoice. And they told me after I was done, I was like, oh, I'm glad we work on the integrity system. Can you pay it now? And they're like, yeah, totally will, right? But here's the thing that I'm going to say. When you send it out, if you spend another moment thinking about it, you're actually choosing to lose the game because there's nothing you can do and you're mentally hijacking your own space. Now, here's the one part though. If you're having anxiety because you sent it out, there's a chance that you're having anxiety because you feel like you missed something or didn't do something or there was another part or a piece and it's not going back to fix that. It's allowing whatever happens to happen and then learning from it, but then making those adjustments on the next time. And so when you are in the game of entrepreneurship or life in general, you have to have patience, but it's a muscle and we don't practice it. And so I used to get anxiety all the time, like with unread audio messages, right? Or um, sending out proposals or making offers. And I realized that every time I had anxiety about them, when I had anxiety and I did nothing with it, it always worked out. When I had anxiety about them, but then I allowed that to inhibit my behaviors, it actually cost me most of those deals. And so I just started working through it and I realized that when I would have anxiety, I'm like, and and I had lots of people support me with this. I'm like, all right, cool. I had like I had a falling out with one of my business partners at a big company and I got a text message I didn't like and I had so much anxiety for like two days. And then finally I was like, oh my God, I coached this. So I made a list of like all the possible scenarios and what my solutions were. <laughs> And then I had a trip booked to Austin in like two weeks anyways. And I was already going to see him. And I knew that. That was my plan. And so I list out all the options. And when I was done listing them out, the only solution was the one that I'd already chosen. So I'd spent three or four days like suffering, not sleeping, not eating, to end up at the same exact decision that I'd already planned for in the first place. And so I hope that answers your question. It does. It does. I don't know. Personally, it is, as a as a young entrepreneur, I feel like I, I obviously I have, have so much to learn. But the number one thing that I personally deal with is anxiety is waiting to see, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what business I run, but I have a photography business and I work with mm-hmm. restaurants. So a lot of times I'll go and I'll talk to restaurants and they're like, oh, yeah, like, we'll we'll let you know on like Tuesday or we'll let you know on Wednesday. It's a couple of days from now. And I'm sitting there like a ball of anxiety, like, fuck, OK, are they going to call gonna me? Give you are they going to call me? Are they going to call gi- me? I'm going to give you a tip. OK, so here here's the thing. So so I'm going to say this and, and this used to happen to me. Right. So I want you to understand something. When a restaurant hires you, Baja, who works for who? They don't pay me and I don't pay them. We coexist. Okay, you coexist. So nobody's paid. You're just doing this as a trade? Yeah, I make the money off of the customers, not off of them. What customers? 
the customers that dine at the restaurant. So I take their pictures, I print them out, yeah. and I sell it to the customers. Okay, got it. Cool. So, so irregardless, so you need the restaurant, right, and the business with the restaurant for that to happen, right? So you coexist, but I want you to understand that it's a value add to their people and you as well. And if you're in that bucket, you lead the relationship. They work for you. Now, that doesn't mean you're over them, but you have to lead the relationship, right? So like what used to happen to me is I would like give out an offer and it felt like I was like giving my power away. Like somehow their answer dictated whether I was successful or not. And it was stopping me from like closing deals. And I realized that it was because I was feeling like very insecure around people. And so my energy would come off like this very timid. They didn't really like feel it, but then I would be waiting and waiting. And then I would like weigh my whole life on it. And so then I started to ask myself, okay, what would I need to do for myself to when like I made the offer, like the moment I'm like, all right, here's the deal. And then like, they're like, yep, you'll, we'll reach back out Tuesday or Wednesday. And you're like, amazing. And then you never think about it again. And like ever think about it again, right? Unless you intentionally want to follow up, right? Whatever that is. I started asking those questions and I realized it was how I was even saying things to them, right? Like I was like waiting for them to make a decision or waiting for their approval rather than saying like, hey, here's what I do. Here's how I do it. This is how it works. Do you have any questions? And it started to change my confidence and how I spoke about it. And the gaps started getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And then I realized I didn't like gaps. And so now I won't get off a call until I'm paid if I'm on that call. Mm -hmm. And so now, as I just worked on it, I just realized that I could get better and better and better and not really have those out. Now, do I still send out proposals? 1,000%. But now when I send a proposal out and I'm on the Zoom call, I'm like, hey, listen, I'm going to send you the proposal by end of day today. I need an answer in the next 96 hours and I will put a reminder in the email and I'll send a follow-up the day before. And if I don't, if I hear from you, I'll delete that other email. Like, oh my God, that's amazing. Thank you for making it so easy. And then I hit send. And then if they get back to me, great. And if not, three days later, a follow-up email goes out automated, which took me 10 seconds to write. Hey, just checking in, make sure you got everything. What's your solution? And do you think if they didn't respond to either of those, I want them as a client? No. No, not unless there's a good reason, but irregardless, I'm unattached. He might respond in six days, be like, hey, man, I'm so sorry. My wife ended up in the hospital. And I'm like, oh, my God, I made all that up for nothing. Right. And so I just started to kind of like set containers and invite people to them. And then I don't take it personal. Right. And then the moment I can release it, I can then go focus on what else is on my plate or what my next bite is. Right. And so it's a muscle because how old are you again? 19. 19. Yeah. Yeah. Like everybody told you, she's fucking incredible. Right. So when you, when you flex that more and more and more, you also have to understand too, that anxiety is part of this game. Cause like you have a vision, right? And this is your vision that nobody's ever built before. But yet the thing that you're having anxiety about is not knowing the exact pieces or boards to put into place to build a vision that's nobody's ever built before. There's a little bit of a paradox in that. You're going to figure out how to build it out but you're going to build it differently every single day. And so the anxiety about like, I don't know what to do, that's the right anxiety because you have to change the question to what am or like, who should I be or what should I do or what should I focus on next or what is going to build out next? And like, that is one of the greatest spaces for entrepreneurs to be in. And the challenge that most young entrepreneurs have is they're addicted to fucking consumption instead of creation. Well, I'm going to tell you something right now. When you consume, you're building somebody else's vision. When you create, you're building your own. You need to understand that. 
because a lot I watch a lot of young entrepreneurs that have a lot of time because they're not married. They don't have kids, right? They got like they want to grind like 19 hours a day, but they have like six hours a day where they hit these sticking points and they're like, I don't know what to do. And they get anxiety. So they go like consume content. They go distract themselves. They go do shit. But in that six hours, if you sat for a minute, you're like, all right, cool. I got some space. Well, I want to be here in a year. What's one behavior if I did every day for the next 365 days would get me there? Let's start there today or work on that. Or, hey, I have six hours. What's one thing I can create? Like, how can I build another brick in my vision, right? How can I do that? And so I watched myself struggle for so long because the anxiety that I was having, I kept coming down to being this lack of clarity, but I expected somebody else to tell me what my clarity should be. Nobody can tell me what my clarity should be. You can't tell me how to record my podcast. You can't tell me how to spend my time. And you sure she can't tell me what to say on Instagram. Only I can, yeah. right? And and so you got to recognize that like, especially when you're 19, you could be five years away from being a centimillionaire, seven years away from being a billionaire. I'm fucking 39 and I feel like a teenager right now because I'm rebuilding again. And it feels fun. It feels fun. I love what I do, but like I'm just addicted to building. And I have probably put 7 million bricks in my building that somebody else has pulled out, but the ones that are kept, they're beautiful. And I had to put those other bricks down to realize that we didn't need them, right? And so like for me, a lot of people ask me why I'm successful. I think it comes down to my resiliency to swing the bat as many times as possible every day, irregardless of how I feel about swinging the bat. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. It's a good piece of advice, though. Yeah. So what advice would you give to... Because you know what? I, I'm going to be a little bit selfish, okay? You I'm, should be. I'm 19. I'm talking to you. Like, You're interviewing might me. As well, might as well ask. So as somebody who's a young entrepreneur, I feel like something that I struggle with a lot, at least for what I want to do and the vision that I have, I need capital. And if, with the very little experience that I have, it's it's hard to go and find a job that's going to pay me the kind of capital so I can save up and I can go. So and before before you is, finish, before you finish, yes, I can't answer this until I break down the first part of your question. Go for it. Why do you consistently call yourself a young entrepreneur? Because that's what I am. Okay. Are you a young entrepreneur or are you an entrepreneur? I'm an entrepreneur. Okay. So what's the benefit of using the label young? I guess there is no, well, there is no benefit. It's just to clarify a very little experience. What's the downfall of using the word young? Other people see that and they think it's the self, same thing. It's self-deprecating. Okay. Right. It's not true. Right. I feel like it might be, and I'm going to take a swing since you asked to be selfish, it might be a little bit of a hiding spot from a lack of self-confidence. And it's just easier to say young entrepreneur than it is to say entrepreneur because it kind of gives you a pass. No, I'm going to cry. <laughs> well, you said you were going to be selfish and ask from yeah. coaching for me. This is what coaching for me looks like. Okay. The reason I say that is because you're good, like really good, right? When that young is removed... You're just a badass entrepreneur that I thought was 30 years old. When young is there, you're a timid 19-year-old girl. I don't know. I don't have clarity. And it's an easy tell for you because mm -hmm. your tone changes. 
the, the pitch of your voice, how you speak, the pace at which you speak on how you describe yourself changes. So you need to start, need to, I invite you to, sorry, that's shitty language. That was horrible as a coach. I invite you <laughs> to start having a practice daily around self-confidence and what labels mean. Because I don't want you to label yourself an entrepreneur. I want you to label yourself you, right? Don't put labels on it. Don't put young on it. Start with, I'm an entrepreneur. And experience is not based on time. Experience is not based on money. Experience is not based on numbers. Experience is based on a willingness to play and see the lessons everywhere else in your life that correlate together and then add a tool on top of it. I don't need you you know, to have gone through like six years of a leadership academy to tell you how to empathize with one of your employees if you had a younger sibling. Like that's a skill set you have. That's a tool that you have, right? And so be really, really careful about putting yourself in boxes that you don't want to live in. If you're going to put yourself in a box, put yourself in a bigger box, not a smaller box. Welcome to personal development. You should next read the book, Personality Isn't Permanent by Benjamin Hardy. So when you're going to start labeling yourself, if you're going to label yourself an entrepreneur, instead of saying young, why not say successful entrepreneur? Why not say abundant entrepreneur? Why not say successful? Why not say driven? Why not say loving? Why not say connected? So if you're going to pick a label, pick a label that serves you, not one that hurts you. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. I do understand what you're saying. So like very rarely do I call myself like an entrepreneur. I call myself a hodgepodge of things. Most of the time I call myself an idiot and that's my answer. <laughs> and then everybody laughs and then I tell them I'm successful because I'm stupid and then it feels an integrity for me, right? Like that's who I am, right? And so start there, okay? I'm assuming the second part of your question is where do I get capital? Yeah, or how do you how do you start if you're if you're low on capital? I think that's yeah, a question yeah, yeah. that so many people yeah. ask. Yeah, and here and here's the thing. And and I'm going to ask you a question with a question. Okay? If I was to say, hey, Baja, uh, you just got diagnosed with this rare disease, okay? And it's 100% curable, but it needs to be cured in the next 30 days. And there's this one specific medicine that I have that costs $25,000. And you have 30 days to get it. And I said, all right, Baja, you can't take money. You can't do anything except look around your environment, your house, and your existing relationships and then make me a plan on how to make 25 grand in the next 30 days, you'd have it in probably an hour. The amount of people that fucking say that to me, and let me be really honest. Let me ask you a question. Do you get Starbucks every day? No. Great. Good. The people that ask me this question spend $89 a month on fucking Netflix streaming services, spend $200 a month on coffee, spend $400 to $700 a month eating out, and tell me they're only making $3,000 a month as an entrepreneur and they have no capital to invest in their business. Might I mind you, I've never raised a dollar for a company. I've never taken an outside dollar. And my friends that have been on this podcast, like Rob Bailey, who owns many multi-million dollar companies, Rob lived in the warehouse of his gym and apparel business for three years, sleeping in the bathroom with no heat and no running water, live streaming 24 hours a day, four days a week, making shirts for three and a half years before he had enough money to make an apartment. I don't want to hear it most of the time until you're willing to have the real conversation. The amount of money that exists 
is mind numbing to me. Like, for example, one of my companies, our funding ran short yesterday, didn't clear. My business partner made one phone call to somebody he hasn't talked to in a month. And the guy wired us like $15 million in an hour. Like money is there. But what's the number one thing that you need in order to get money or have partnerships or business with anybody? You need a relationship. You need to be connected to people. And what must you need to have a real relationship is you need to be solid. You need to be really who you are upfront, integrous, right? And so you got to start really looking at the game, okay? So like in March of 2020, I lost everything again. And I've talked about this on the podcast, but I was doing, I was making probably $500,000 a month. And in 48 days, it was gone. Like nothing, gone. And then like $1.2 million of consulting contracts removed. It's like I was out. And um, I launched this podcast and I started over. The Lighthouse Method was the first course I made 30 days later for 750 bucks. Like I can tell you the evolution back out. I didn't have any capital. I didn't have a team member. I went back to doing it myself. I made a course in a Google document with a Facebook group. I made a checkout page in Samcart and I processed the first hundred orders myself. And I started making deals and exchanges and getting on calls and offering my services. And I started making money again. And I dropped my prices from 50 grand a day back down to $1,000 a day to start again. Because every bit of money was money for me, right? And I was like, cool. I was like, how many people do I know that I can write three emails for right now that will literally change their business? Great, 150 bucks each, let me reach out. And I went and created it over and over and over and over again. And I think I'm gifted in this because I was pretty homeless most of my life and pretty poor most of my life. But when you really, really think about it, you have to stop and look at the options that are around you. The amount of grants that I didn't know existed in business, the amount of loans that I didn't know existed in business, the amount of people that were around me that wanted to help, the amount of people that wanted me to help them that didn't even know they could pay me to help them and they wanted to. Like, you have to be willing to look around to what's there. And I'm, I'm really bullish on this. Like, I'm shocked that in, as long as I've been an entrepreneur, that I have never responsibly raised money for anything. I've never put it into my own company. Now, yes, I own parts of companies that have raised rounds, but I've come in after. I've never been involved in that. I've never done that. I've never uh, you know, borrowed money. Uh, I think one time, oh, what I did do um, was during March of 2020, when I lost everything, I took the SBA loan. The 125 grand as my buffer that allowed me to launch the podcast and rebuild the course. And uh, I used that 90 days uh, to generate it back. And so you got to understand that money is just a tool, it's a resource, right? Like when you go look for copywriters, when you go look for social media managers, looking for money is actually easier because more people have it. It's just which way you're going to extract it. And you can extract it in many, many ways. You can do an exchange of services or adding value or asking for loans or doing business together or brokering equity deals or a lot of different things. But you have to have this active pursuit of money. Like money is a plant in your garden and you have to water it every day and your relationship with it depends on how much of it you have. And so you have to be willing to go out and do it. And I watch a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with this, but like I, I think people could learn a lot from having to go fucking knock door to door, right? Like entrepreneurs think that like, oh, I need a hundred grand. I'll go send three emails. Like I have a buddy who raised like $5 million and it took him a year and a half and like almost 900 meetings. And then I have another buddy who closed like a $30 million round with one meeting. Like it, you gotta be willing to make it work. Cause like if you're doing this and you think money's the solution, it's not. Like if you're not willing to do this when it's hard and your back's against the wall, 
it doesn't, it's not going to work when you get to a million or 3 million or 5 million, because you're not going to have the capacity to go and the pressure changes, right? Now you have a $98,000 a week payroll. And for the first time in a year, you can't make it. Now you have a team of 30 people that you have to get creative on how you're going to make cash flow. Mm. You're not going to fire them. You're not going to let them go. And so I tell people now, like when that happens in your company, you don't go raise around to then keep employees and pay their salaries, right? And so the lessons that we have, these are like the most critical lessons to come as entrepreneurs. Like there's there's nothing more valuable because I know that if I came into your life and jumped into your phone, your social and asked you about an hour's worth of questions, I could probably find you $100,000 that you'd never have to do anything in return for in your ecosystem. But you probably wouldn't feel good about that because you're like me and I would never take money, but I could find you 250000 in exchange for what you already know with what you're good at sitting right in front of you. Might take you six months to fulfill on it, might take you nine months to fulfill on it, but it might be worth it to have that capital to invest. Who knows? Right? Like when I was a food blogger, I was shooting CrossFit competitions as a photographer to make money to buy the camera equipment to shoot the recipes on my food blog, and I was an active duty Marine. So I was running a food blog, food blogging every day on the weekends, doing photograph sessions, weddings, portraits. And CrossFit, being a Marine during the week, and then using the gear and the money I made over here, because the Marine Corps covered my lifestyle, so this is what funded the business until the website made enough money for me to buy in the stuff. Mm. And so it's been like that every day of my life, like every ounce of my career. Like, it's pick up the fucking phone. Hey, I have an idea. I want you to try this. If it works, will you pay me five grand? Hey, I want to do this. Hey, I want to do an event together. Hey, like I did this a couple weeks ago. I was like, I don't want to sell my courses anymore. I want somebody else to sell them. I was like, hey, I have all my IP. Do you want to make a customer journey course for your people and you sell and give me a percentage? He's like, yeah. I'm like, cool. Here you go. I don't have to sell my course. Somebody else can sell my course. We'll put their intro video on it. It's still my model. And then, you know, it's it's this constant thing. Like, this is how I think every single day. I just don't think about it in money. I think about it in people. I'm constantly like, who can I invest in? Who can I build a relationship? Where can I add value? And I, I think I just now have this like unlimited treasure trove. It's like I have the most abundant garden in the world. Um, and so I know that's not the answer that everybody wants. I wish that was the answer that somebody gave me 10 years ago. Because I got to give Gary V credit and we got to wrap the show because I have a couple minutes left and we'll have to do this again. But I got to give Gary credit because I, I have a couple of my friends that have gone viral making fun of Gary and his garage sales. But here's the thing. I've also read 10,000 testimonials in Gary's comments of people who literally made five grand, 10 grand, 15 grand doing what he said and then launching their businesses and now they're successful. Yeah, I bet you never had the idea to go flip stuff in garage sales to get the first five grand. But that five grand could be a ticket to the coach or to the event that changes your whole business. Like all this is, is you're thinking about how to trade a paperclip up to a fucking Ferrari. That's how I look at business. That's it. That's such an interesting one. So I got to give, I got to give Gary credit because like you got to get creative. And I think back to a lot of things that I did. I remember selling iPhones. I remember there was a part when I was a food blogger that I went through my office and I was like, I have all this gear. Like I needed like 10 grand. And I was like, I have all this gear and I needed that 10 grand to invest in uh, the app I was building (laughs) that I didn't have the 55 grand to pay for, which ended up being the number one app in the world, by the way. Um, But I went through my whole office and I pulled out everything I didn't need. I sold extra cameras that I used, but I didn't need them anymore. And I went back to one camera instead of two. And I went back to one GoPro instead of three and I sold everything. And I made like 
you know, 10 grand by selling all this stuff. And then that app went on to be number one in the world, but I didn't have the money to make it. I made 10 grand and that 10 grand I gave to my developer as a down payment to float me the other 40 as a loan. And I agreed by giving him two thirds of the profit. And then he said, yes. And then I made a million dollars. That's amazing. And so I think it really just boils down to the fact that like, I know this about you and you have this incredible clarity at such a young age, you're going to succeed. It's guaranteed because you already know it. But this is the hardest part at such a young age. If you know it, then you can't allow yourself to believe any other evidence because it's inadmissible. That means when you're like, oh, I can't do this. I don't know the answer. It won't stand up in a court of law because you already know. So the faster you can object to all that evidence and sit with what's there and then choose your next action, the faster you're going to get there. Thank you. You're welcome. But I think I think we gotta put we gotta put a bow on it. But this I gotta say, I know I talked a lot, but I've never talked like that on this show because nobody's asked me those questions. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you opened up as much as you did. Oh my god, Everything no, like I said it was amazingly insightful. I seriously loved this. Like we're gonna have to do this again. We're gonna have to do round two. I'm um, down. I'm always down. So for everybody listening, um, actually, Baja, will you tell them your uh, Instagram real quick since you interviewed me? And yeah, what's your uh, photo Instagram? So my Instagram is photo studio Basha. Basha is spelled B-A-S-I-A. Yep. Photo studio Basha spelled B-A-S-I-A. Yeah. I um, For everybody listening, um, I don't know when we're dropping this, but I would love to hear what you thought of this episode. Um, like send me a DM on Instagram. I mean this seriously. Like, do you want me to do this again? Do you think I'm batshit? Was that literally just a waste of your time? Or if you liked it, uh, send us questions and I will give them to uh, Pasha and she can ask them and then intermix them and we'll do this again. Um, but yeah, yeah, this I, I this was like the best gift to my morning, to be honest with you. <laughs> and thank you so much for having me on, George. I, I really enjoyed this too. I was taking, nope. I have a whole page. I don't know if you post the video or not, but I've been taking We notes. do. We do. I love that. Yes. Yes. I love that. Yeah. No, I, um, no, I mean, I really appreciate it. It's, it's interesting. Like I have a minute, but I was like, um, you know, for everybody listening, it's like, I love my podcast, but it's, I have like two different positions. And when like I'm recording the show or interview somebody, I'm almost in like the coach seat. And then when I get interviewed on other people's podcasts, it's probably my favorite thing ever because I kind of get to be the player, right? I'm like, okay, cool. It's me, right? Uh, <laughs> very rarely, I think, do you ever get the chance on your own podcast to have somebody else let you be the player? And, you know, that was the first time I've been on a show that I wasn't like, oh my God, I'm talking too much. They're going to get mad at me. I was just like, answer the question. And then when I was done, I was done. And it felt really good to me. So I enjoyed it a ton. Good. I'm sorry I kind of put you in the coach seat towards the end oh there, no but... i love it i love it i love it no it's 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 really really good because like you know like we have a lot of human design people that follow me so i get all these readings for free in my inbox all the time and they break it down and apparently i never understood myself but it makes so much sense that i'm like a generator but like my default state like my strongest state is to respond which means when I'm prompted, that's when I'm in flow. And I was like, oh, that's why I give keynotes off the top of my head. And I consult for a living and I run in-person events and I do co. And so when I do content, all my best content is when my team sends me a question prompt to answer. Any content I try to outline doesn't work because I'm not as good because I need that response. So this felt really like fun to me. So I, I mean it for everybody listening. If you liked this, let me know. We might, uh, we might try it a couple times and see if it becomes fun. I'm more than happy to.
I know, I know you are. I know you are. And I will, I will allow you to put yourself in the hot seat whenever you ask, but I won't put you in there without, without asking you first. Oh, I'm so. always down for that too. I know. I know. We kept, the te- <laughs> we kept the tears to a minimum today. I had one little one. You had one little one. We were good. We went, we went, we went to the tip of the iceberg today, but we'll, we we'll have more for sure. So for everybody listening, um, I would love to hear. So shoot me a DM on Instagram. And Basha, thank you so much. Uh, so incredibly much. This was so fun. And, uh, yeah, that's where we're going to wrap the episode. So remember that relationships will always be the algorithms, especially the one with yourself. So without further ado, uh, here is the outro. Deuces. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Mind of George Show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.